0: Second, welcome, you guys. I am so glad you guys are here. When, when uh, I asked Steve and Jane if they would come up, Steve first um, declined to take a microphone and say anything, and honestly, that's his heart and spirit. He is incredibly humble, but I insisted because I knew you'd be blessed, I'd be blessed by his words, and I told him more than once, I said, please talk as long as you want. <laughs> I had no limit, no time frame, just talk as long as you want, because I knew he'd be blessed by his words, and if he talked long enough, it would displace the message, but Steve, you didn't. Didn't pull that one off for me, so I still have to do a message. And it's one that I've felt out of a passage in Revelation that I felt God has something very profound for us as the church, very profound for you and for me. So I've spent seemingly endless hours preparing for it, even well beyond this week. And, and now I'm standing in front of you, and I'm not sure that the words I have are, are those profound words that God has but 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 they're the best i have to offer him and offer you and and somewhere in this i really believe if you're part of the harbor then especially for you this there's something profound for you but if you're not if you're a guest or a visitor or just checking a church out i think there's something for you as well so i want to start with two questions ask you to ponder two questions the first is this are you rich are you rich if tomorrow if if someone asks you in the hallway at school or work or neighborhood someplace, if someone asks you, Are you rich, what would you say to them? How would you answer the question, Are you rich? Ponder that. I'll come back to that in just a bit. Second question to ponder is this would you follow Jesus if doing so caused you to suffer greatly? Would you follow Jesus if doing so caused you to suffer greatly? Would, many of you here, many of you are followers of him. Some aren't yet. Many of you are. Would you follow him? If you knew in doing so, it would cost you greatly. This is the third week of a study of, of the book of Revelation, and I'll, I'll kind of recap where we've been. First chapter, very profoundly, God is saying this is, this is a letter uh, to the harbor. I understand it's much, much broader, but this is a letter to the harbor, and more poignantly, it is a letter to you. This book, Revelation, is written by the God of the universe to you, to you and to me, to show you what's to come and to show you how to live. And in the beginning, as he's saying that, laying that out, he's also saying that that you need to to deeply understand um, his his infinite power. As you read this book, you read the pages of this book, and as you navigate your life, you need to, to be gripped by his infinite power. You need to also be gripped by his immeasurable love for you, As you read these pages, as you navigate your life, circumstances of your life, you need to know how deeply he loves you, this immeasurable love for you. And you need to know his presence. He's here now. He's here now. You need to know his presence. And then last week we talked about the first of of seven very small letters to seven real churches that existed back around 90, 95 uh, A.D. And the very first one, the, the whole sum of the message to that was that like the currency of God's kingdom is not gold. It's not the dollar. It's not Bitcoin. It's love. The currency of God's kingdom, the meaningful means of transaction in God's kingdom is love. If we don't have that for God and people, we have nothing. We have nothing. Love is the currency of God's kingdom. And that takes us to today to the, the second church in the second very brief letter. It's in chapter 2, verse 8. It begins this way. It says, Write this letter. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, this is a message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. So it's written to this church in the city of Smyrna. I've got a map to give us some context to that. Uh, the map is going to show you Western Turkey, currently Western Turkey here. So this is the Aegean Sea, Mediterranean is over here, Greece is over here to give you context. So, so last week we talked about this church at Ephesus. It's the most Significant city of the entire region, but Smyrna is a close second to it. Smyrna is about 35 miles north, uh, thriving commerce in that city. Probably 200,000 people, the historians think, which is a huge city for that time. Uh, It it was known for its beauty. Apparently, it wasn't just a a random uh, development and layout. Apparently, it was actually a planned city. There probably weren't many at the time. It was known for its beauty about how it was laid out and designed. It was known for that. He was known for being probably the birthplace of the famous poet Homer. Maybe you've heard of or read the Iliad, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Homer wrote that, and, and this was believed to be his, his birthplace, his hometown there. If you lived in Smyrna at the, at the time, most likely you worshipped multiple gods. Most likely there wasn't just one god, a god, you worshipped multiple gods. In fact, uh, somewhere in the couple of decades before, actually longer than that, several decades before the letter was written, uh, Rome said that, that we will pick one city that will be honored to build this temple to worship the emperor Tiberius. And so many cities vied for it. There were at least 11 that were actively vying for it, and Smyrna won. Right? Rome chose them. They built this temple so you could actively worship Tiberius in that place. So there was many, many gods worshipped there. The church it's being written to was, was perhaps formed about 40 years before the letter, maybe 52 to 55 AD, no one's sure, but maybe Maybe they'd had about a 40-year run when the letter comes to them. And the letter's from Jesus, it says. It says, from the one who is the first and the last. It's such a close tie to other places, even in chapter 1, that refers to God the Father as the Alpha and the Omega, which is the first and the last. The message is here is that Jesus is writing to them back then. He's writing to you now. And you need to know that he's the first and the last He's lived from eternity past, and he will live into eternity future. You need to know that, he's saying. And then secondly, it says he's the one that was dead, but now is alive. And to the church at Smyrna, there was something very profound that they remember that. He's the one. He was drawing back images for them of him being crucified. Images of the nail scars in his hands, images of the resurrection. You're saying, you've you got to remember, with what I'm about to tell you, you've got to remember... I'm the one that was dead but I'm alive again. I'm the one that is resurrected. I'm the one that's conquered death. That's the one writing. That's the one writing to you in this book. So, I'll pick up verse 9. This is what Jesus says. I know that you're I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they're not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. What's most notable, actually, is what he doesn't say. There are seven churches, there are seven letters, and in all but two of them, he says to them, I have some things to affirm about you, but I have some things that you need to correct all but two of the churches, he says, I need to give you critique. I need to criticize you because you need to change some stuff. The first church we read about, he said, you've lost your love. In the end, it's all that really counts if you don't have that and He's saying to the first church, Ephesus, you've lost your love for God and people. To this church at Smyrna, there's no correction. There's no criticism. He said, I've got nothing to correct. You, you guys, you're doing it really, really well. And then he, But he says to them, he said, I know you're suffering in your poverty. I know you're suffering and your poverty. For some of you, perhaps the most important thing God has you here for today is if you're suffering now, if you're going through challenging times, is, is to understand that Jesus knows. You may be going through something and you're thinking, I can't, I can't survive it, I can't handle it, I don't know what life will be or if life will be at all. You maybe have found yourself wondering, does anyone know? Does God even know? And the message for you this morning is he knows. That the God of the universe knows. And sometimes that alone is enough to get you through something. To know that, that you're not lost somewhere. You're not out of his view. He, he knows what you're going through. He said to the church at Smyrna, I know of your poverty. I know of your suffering, of your poverty. And they, they certainly had severe poverty the, the bias, the discrimination against them, the hatred against them. Certainly there were no good paying jobs for them. They, they would get the leftovers. If anything, they certainly had poverty. But he says, he says I know your poverty, but you are rich. Materially, they had, they had very, very little. How could he say that? It took my mind back to the letter of last week to the Ephesians, to the people at Ephesus, In essence, God was saying to them, you know, the currency of God's kingdom is not gold. It's not houses. It's not cars. It's not bank accounts. It's none of that. The currency of God's kingdom is love. And certainly, he's saying to the church at Smyrna, you know what? You're rich in love. You're loving God really, really well. You're loving people really well. You're rich. Do you know that? You're rich. No surprise that the psalmist would write in Psalm 145, 8, He would say, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Probably above all else, he's saying to this little church that's suffering so much and so much poverty, he's saying, you're you're rich, you're rich in love. You're loving God well, you're loving people well. But scripture suggests more about them than that. James chapter 2, verse 5 says, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters, hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? The church at Smyrna was probably very rich in faith. They probably had this deep faith in Jesus, deep faith in God the Father. They were rich in faith. And then in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, Paul would write, yet true godliness and contentment is itself great wealth. Godliness with contentment is itself great wealth, great riches. So, so those at Smyrna, they possessed very, very little, but Jesus was saying to them, you're rich. And most likely he was saying, you're rich in love, Rich in faith? You're rich in godliness with contentment? You're rich. So can I ask you again, are, are you rich? Are you rich? Perhaps because the culture does this, perhaps you and I would first tend to think of, of how much is in the bank or what kind of house we lived in or a car we drove or on and on and on. But, but this message today is saying to us, no, no, that's, that's not where riches really lie. Are you rich? You may have more zeros in the bank account than many of us could even imagine. You may have that, but, but are you rich in love and rich in faith and rich in godliness with contentment? Are you rich in those things? Because if you are, then you're indeed rich. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're wondering, maybe if you have the least of anyone in this room, and that's true of one person in this room, certainly. One person in this room has the least. But are you rich in love, love for God and people? Are you rich in faith? Are you rich in godliness with contentment? Because if you have those things, then God is saying to you right now, you're indeed rich. And you you are a very, very wealthy person. Are you rich? It wasn't just a case of poverty. It was a case of suffering as well. And, And Jesus is, not only he's acknowledging that they're already suffering, he says, I know of your suffering But then a little farther down, he said, don't be afraid of the suffering to come. And so he's saying, yeah, you're suffering now, but I'm just telling you that there's more to come. And in that part of that verse, in the more to come, he says that that there will be prison for some of you. There'll be execution for some of you. This is the suffering. This is where the suffering is going to go. And in fact, we know one of the most famous martyrs of Christendom in that time was a man named Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John that wrote the book of Revelation. It's thought that John spent much of his time in, in, in this era, in, in this area here of Western Turkey. And it turned out that the Apostle John was the one that mentored and discipled Polycarp. And Polycarp became the bishop of the church of Smyrna. In essence, he was the pastor of the church at Smyrna. And there came a day, it was about a couple of decades, best after this letter was written, there came a day that, that he was called out publicly. And he was told he had to acknowledge that Caesar was Lord. And he wouldn't do it. So they burned him alive. And history says he wasn't the only one. I mean, Jesus, Jesus was right. I mean, there, there was profound suffering that they already had. There was even more significant suffering that was to come. And, friends, these were real People. They were young people. They were old people. They were unmarried. They were married. They were fathers and mothers and children and grandparents. These were real people. These were people you and I, that followed Jesus, we will see in heaven. We'll, we'll live side by side with these people. The only reason they suffered so greatly was they boldly followed Jesus. It's the only reason. If they just hadn't followed Jesus boldly, they wouldn't have suffered that. The only reason they suffered so much is because they boldly followed Jesus. Jesus tells them just two two commands, just two things. The first he says is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the suffering to come. And the reason that this letter to them is prefaced by saying the one talking to you is the one who, who was the first and is the last. This is the one who is dead but is alive. He's saying to them, don't be afraid. Remember who I am. I'm the one with the nail scars in my hands. I'm the one that was crucified, but I rose from the dead. I'm the one that conquered death. Don't be afraid. I suffered. I suffered infinitely more than you ever will. Don't be afraid. Remember who I am. And then he said, remain faithful. In other words, just boldly follow me. Don't be afraid. Remain faithful. What's striking is that uh, Jesus doesn't prevent their suffering. First chapter of Revelation, it's really clear that, that God has all power and infinite love and, uh, and he's always present and Jesus is talking to this church and it's very clear that he could have easily said, I, I'm gonna spare you all that, but he doesn't do that. He just says, don't be afraid and remain faithful in the midst of all that. And what's even more surprising perhaps until you read scripture and soak on this for a while is, is there's a church to come we'll talk about, one of the seven churches The church of Philadelphia, Jesus says to them, there's suffering coming, but guess what, guys? I'm going to spare you the suffering. Smyrna, the suffering comes, and it's unabated. Philadelphia is spared the suffering, and there's no no suggestion, no clue that one was better than the other. No clue at all. made me think of of Acts chapter 12. It's a few decades, maybe 35 years or so before this letter was written, Acts 12 is talking about a time that um, persecution in Jerusalem had begun to heighten. So Herod, who was a king, had arrested one of the apostles, James, and had him beheaded. And that brought so much applause and popularity to King Herod that he then arrested another apostle, Peter. Threw him in prison and would do the same thing the next day. Okay, James got beheaded. Peter gets rescued from prison by God. There's this great you know, miracle break out of prison that God did. And and there's no suggestion that Peter was better than James at all. It's just one got beheaded, one got rescued, no explanation why. You read Hebrews chapter 11, and if you're going through hard times, you're going to love the first two-thirds of chapter 11 because it goes through people over and over and over again. And it, the trials and sufferings and tribulations and over and over again, God spared them, God spared them, God spared them. God. Spared them. So you need, you need to read the 1st Two-thirds of chapter 11, Hebrews. You going through hard times? But be prepared when you hit the word about two-thirds, Too, there's this word, but. <laughs> if you keep on reading it, it says, but. There were others that didn't get spared. It says they, they were too good for this world. They didn't get spared. And there's no suggestion at all that, that the first two-thirds of those folks were any better than the last two-thirds of the verses that talk about it. the multitudes. Need the majority that weren't spared. So Smyrna is basically, they're just told, you know, there's, there's suffering coming. Just don't be afraid and just remain faithful. Then the final verse to them says, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Which, So that's us. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. So to be victorious in this context is to remain faithful to Jesus probably the words we would use here at the harbor is, is to boldly follow Jesus. Don't tiptoe around. Don't pull back. Don't withdraw. Don't count the cost and say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to skip this one because the cost is too high. Those who are victorious, in other words, those that remain faithful, those who, who boldly follow Jesus, says will not be harmed by the second death. And the second death is talked about at the end of Revelation. We'll get there at some point. And in, in chapter 20 in particular, uh, chapter 20, verse 14, it's talking about the final judgment day, and it talks about the second death being this lake of fire. But the second death is a living death, and the death of fire. And Jesus is saying to, to this church at Smyrna, he's saying, you're going to suffer greatly. But when, when the final judgment comes, you're going to escape the second death. And then, and then you begin to read Revelation twenty one twenty two, which they read. And they would realize that they would go through the rest of all eternity with never suffering again. If I were them, and I read this letter for the first time, I would, I would read the part about don't be afraid of what's coming, and some of you will get thrown in prison, you're going to suffer for 10 days, and if you remain faithful through, you know, the, when death comes, and I would go back to the 10 days, he's saying, you'll be, you'll be tried, you'll be suffered for 10 days, and, and most certainly, friends, it, it wasn't meant to be a literal 10 days. But could you imagine them reading that and thinking, okay, that means there's a limit to how long I will suffer. They get to the end of the book, end of Revelation, and they realize that, that there comes a point in time that they will never suffer again through all of eternity. So they've been sitting in heaven, guys, for 1,900 years. So they're looking back on the suffering that was very real for them, it was very harsh for them, looking back on that little window, and it probably feels like 10 days or less, whatever it was. And they're sitting there right now in heaven, like 19 years into it, and they're realizing, i got not another 1,900 years or 19,000 years or 19 trillion years. I have eternity. I will never suffer again. And I had to encourage them that he put these words in there. You will suffer for 10 days. Or in other words, you're going to t- suffer for some predetermined, limited amount of time. But if you're victorious, if you remain faithful, then heaven is yours. Heaven is yours. Whoever has ears to hear must hear what Jesus is saying to the churches, what Jesus is saying to the harbor, what Jesus and the Spirit are saying to you today. One thing I think he would say to you, to me, is to be thankful that we are not living in the environment Smyrna was living in. Be thankful that we're living in a place where there's very, very little downside of being a Christian. There's very, very little suffering being a Christian. And to be thankful for that, that we don't have to be concerned that by, by denying that uh, Caesar or something else is God, we'll be killed for it. To, to be thankful that we're given, we're given a relatively, relatively pain-free time to follow Jesus. Be thankful for that. Because that's not really the norm. I've got a map of the world that I'll show you. Right now, there are 215 million Christians who are being severely persecuted in over 50 countries in the world. 215 million Christians. That's one in every 12 Christ followers right now. Severely persecuted right now. This world map here, if if I were to take this band from Western Africa through the top of Northern Africa down the side of Eastern Africa, this entire region... Every country there, severe persecution of Christians. Virtually the entire Middle East, severe persecution. All through the southern half of all of Asia, severe persecution. Most of Indonesian islands, persecution as well. All, all of that area, over 50 countries, 215 million Christians. On our half of the world, uh, Colombia has some severe persecution. Venezuela may be going there, Cuba, but that's it. And don't you think since we live on like, on this side of the world... Better yet, we live in the United States. There ought to be a a pause of saying, thank you, God. We get to live vibrantly for Jesus without paying that cost. Thank you, God, for that. But as quickly as I say that, recognizing that these people, the 215 million, are suffering loss of of rights, loss of property, loss of opportunity, beatings, prison, and death. they They live in Smyrna. We should pray for them, shouldn't we? I mean, they are brothers and sisters of ours. We should pray for them. And someday we'll be side by side with them in heaven. We should pray for them now in this run that they're in right now. So we don't face anything like that. But I look at John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20. And and the heart of it says this. uh, Jesus is saying, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And then he concludes by saying, since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And we need to pause and look for a little bit at, at what we face today, what we face here in the Bay Area today. It's nothing like it's. It's hard to even mention in light of what 215 million brothers and sisters experience. But, but there is a price to pay. There is a price to pay. You know, you know, if you boldly live for Jesus you risk being ridiculed by some, don't you? It's a very real thing. You risk being made fun of. I, the President of my company I mocked my Christian faith publicly one time. Thought it was hilarious to make a joke about it. If, if you bold, if boldly live for Jesus, there's the chance in maybe at home, maybe at school, maybe at work, maybe neighborhood, maybe in the store, that you, you'll suffer ridicule and to be made fun of. Maybe you'll be left out. You'll be excluded. If you boldly live for Jesus, maybe there'll be people at school, at work, or neighbor, maybe even family. They'll just they'll just put you off to the side of the circle. You'll be shunned and excluded. Maybe your career will be held back. A friend of mine, his, he lost his career just because he boldly followed Jesus. What, what, what does it cost you? What would it cost you tomorrow to boldly live for Jesus? I will say this, even though... The cost that we would bear today is very little. Persecution is on the rise in the United States. There's persecution now that I never expected to see in my lifetime, and it's accelerating. I'll give you a couple of examples. Last month, two of our United States senators argued that a judicial nominee should be disqualified simply because he belongs to a church that holds biblical views on abortion and same sex marriage. Two senators said that, that a person should be disqualified from government service if they, if they belong to a church holds biblical views on abortion, same-sex marriage. It, completely, completely disqualified for that alone. Closer to home, Living Hope Ministry um, is a ministry that um, walks alongside those that have unwanted same-sex attraction. And it's a ministry that is full of grace And full of of the truth of Christ, and it it helps people who want to to follow Jesus with abandon and vibrancy and uh, sexual purity and everything. And it's helped thousands of people for nearly thirty years now. And three years back, most of you here know that the Harbor played a big role in bringing a satellite of Living Hope to the Houston area. We continue playing a big role of investment as well. We're seeing many many lives deeply touched here by as well. So in recent weeks, Apple, Windows, and Amazon have deemed Living Hope ministry to be a hate ministry because of the views Living Hope holds on sexuality and same-sex attraction. So Apple, Windows, and, and Amazon have removed the Living Hope app from their platforms. It's the main way to contact Living Hope. They've removed from their platforms because it's, they consider it hate material. They've simply removed and taken them off. Discrimination, persecution is on the rise, and I don't know what will happen in my lifetime. If you're young, no idea what it is. No idea what it may become. But the questions, let me go back to the question again. Would you follow Jesus if doing so caused you great suffering? Would you follow him? Or more importantly, let me ask you this. Will you follow him now when doing so cost you minor suffering? Will you follow him boldly with abandon now? When doing so costs you minor suffering. Today, when you engage with your family, you engage with friends and neighbors, you engage with people at the store, will you follow him boldly, without reservation, even though there may be some minor suffering caused by someone to reject or ridicule or accuse or leave you out? Tomorrow, when you go to school, when you go to the workplace, when you walk in the neighborhood... Will you follow him tomorrow, even though it might bring some minor suffering to you? Will you follow him with abandon? This is what Jesus said to a church nearly 2,000 years ago. And this is what he's saying to us, the harbor. This is what he's saying to you. If you follow Jesus, he's saying when you're faced with suffering, in other words, you realize I'm going to live this out boldly today, And you realize there may be some blowback, maybe some suffering from it. when you're faced with suffering, he says, remember who I am. If that's you today, if that's you tomorrow, he says, remember who I am. I'm the one that died and, and came back to life again. I'm the one with nail scars in my hand. I'm the one that conquered death. Remember who I am. And then he says, don't be afraid. Yes, you may be ridiculed. You may be excluded. You may be docked a pay raise. You may lose your job. Don't be afraid. Remain faithful. Simply remain faithful. Will you follow Jesus with abandon now, though it may cost you minor suffering? Father in heaven, we are so blessed and privileged. I can stand on this stage and talk about Jesus and the chance of repercussions are pretty slim. Uh, my friends in these chairs around the room can follow Jesus with abandon, uh, openly. And the suffering that they endure, uh, even in the greatest case here, is going to be relatively slim, relatively small. It'll be nothing compared to Smyrna, be nothing compared to what you, Jesus, suffered for us. And so my prayer, Father, is that that we would be reminded of who Jesus is, what he's done. Those that follow him, he's our Lord. And pray we would live with abandon, regardless of suffering we might endure. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to remain faithful, Father. You are the one who loves us with this infinite love. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. That great love gives us courage to live boldly for Jesus. Recognizing that there, there's sometimes a cost. For some, it's a it cost everything. But knowing that love is what gives us courage and boldness to live for Him. So let me ask you two questions again. One is, are you rich? Are you rich? If you yearn to be more so, you I've talked about how we get there. i rich in love. Rich in faith and rich in godliness with contentment. That's how to become deeply rich. And the second question is, If would you follow Jesus with abandon? If you recognize it would cost you great suffering, would you follow him with abandon? And I would say he's worth it. I'd say he's more than earned it. This is where we're at. Um, I'm going to take a pause uh, after today on Revelation for one week because Lee Strobel is coming next Sunday. He's a phenomenal teacher, uh, engaging. He'll hold your attention. He's going to speak on this subject uh, about a case, the case for a creator. He's, um, and he's a logical, deep-thinking guy, done uh, more research you could imagine around, the, around what science says about, is all this some um, big chance, big accident, or is there really a creator behind it? So I encourage you to come, but not only that, invite friends and family and neighbors and all. It's going to be a, a memorable Sunday. He's been here twice. Places have been packed out and you'll want to come back again. And then the week after, we get back into Revelation again. So that's what's coming ahead for us. So let me pray for us and I'll dismiss you into the day to live boldly for Christ. Father in heaven, thank you for, for this message to us. Thank you that you wrote the city of Smyrna and you're teaching us, you're teaching me teaching each person in this room how how to live this out father may we be gripped by it by you by your love by your power and live boldly for jesus in the minutes and hours and days to come i pray this boldly with high expectation in jesus name amen thanks friends god bless you